building nice and tidy it's a rule i learned in school get your money every friday happy endings are the rule so divide up those in darkness from the ones who walk in light light them up boys there's your picture drop the shadows out of sight. this is Jennifer Stone with Stone's throw trying to get the, the last of the Berthold Breck there, yes. A whiff of the Weimar Republic is perfect for Donald Trump, yes. Background music for Donald, never mind. This is Jennifer Stone with Stone's Throw. And lately, uh, my mind is uh, full, even obsessed with two writers, uh, James Baldwin and Andrea Dworkin. Uh, I'm probably going to Talk more about Baldwin today. I just, I can't get them all into one half hour. Uh, I I think that Baldwin and Dworkin are making a kind of comeback. Uh, now, they've never left me, my thinking, but uh, they changed my thoughts about race and gender back in the 70s. But uh, there are obvious reasons for their, uh, what is that, <laughs> their, they're coming back. I don't know how this works, but obviously the uh, they're at the crest of the wave again. Check out the uh, Times Literary Supplement, Andrea Dworkin. Last book reviewed in August 2019. Book is titled Last Days at Hot Slit. The Radical Feminism of Andrea Dworkin. You can get a paperback for $14. Now, I have that book, and I've read some of the, uh, some of the pieces. It's a selection, uh, interesting selection. Some of the work has never been published, but I want to finish it. I want to really sort out my thoughts on this woman. Um, then I'm going to... Uh, Take a whole half hour on Andrea. Uh, I think uh, she has been not just disbelieved, but she has been uh, disregarded um, in the Times Literary Supplement. The uh, Christine Bold writes that the irony is that Dworkin ended up being disbelieved because in 1999 while drafting a new book in Paris. She was drugged and raped, and uh, when her account was published, it was widely doubted. It was published in The Guardian and The New Statesman. Uh, there is another version of My Suicide that is published for the first time in excerpted form in this book, Last Days at Hot Slit. Now, this suicide note was found by her long-term partner, John Stoltenberg, after her death. 
Andrea's suicide note ends. Please help the women. Please let me die now. The introduction to this book, Joanna Fateman's introduction to Last Days at Hot Slit, promises that Andrea Dworkin's writing, quote, will make your blood run cold. Indeed, indeed, this is the woman who is now believed it's not just the Me Too movement, it's basically the way consciousness, uh, what is it, uh, uh, the truth begins to float after the uh, deluge, the deluge of awful stuff. Anyway, I'm going to try to save Andrea and talk about her all alone because uh, I have come to believe that gender is an older or more fundamental issue than color. Uh, color is, 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 is gender. Uh, we know, we know um, that uh, the first other was a woman. It's a femaleness. That's otherism. Color is a little more uh, complicated. W. E. B. Du Bois, the famous black scholar, back in the nineteenth century, he wrote back in the year 1902, he wrote that the problem of the 20th century, that is the 20th, the past century, uh, would be or is the problem of the color line. That is so difficult. Uh, We're still having trouble, uh, writers, uh, people talking about color. They... Uh, they have to say race, racism, sexism. Uh, race is different than color. Uh, race was invented by uh, an interesting group of people that they invented it in order to enslave people, uh, mostly people of color. But uh, uh, I don't uh, prioritize human suffering and I don't put one before the other, this is both and, of course, of course. Uh, it's so hard. Uh, well, the lives of women, uh, so, so complex, these uh, swings uh, all through history, can't pin down woman's oppression. Woman herself has become an oppressor, we know that, that's pretty complicated. She often identifies with the oppressor, as any slave will do. Uh, I think, yeah, I think it's hard for me to uh, to deal with Andrea Dworkin because, of course, she is a tragic figure, a martyr, perhaps, and uh, she died of a broken heart. My favorite book uh, is a little autobiographical uh, work uh, titled The New Woman's Broken Heart. Now, it was published by, uh, golly, I can't find the publisher, uh, something Frog Press down in Palo Alto. 
I've got to find it, but the new woman's broken heart is the most uh, intensely personal little book. I, I think if I can find it, I want to excerpt it here on the air. Uh, this resurge of interest in both Baldwin and, uh, and uh, Dworkin it seems to me to be, what is that, it, it, it's justification for my old age. I knew, I knew, you know, people would realize that they were the real thing. Once again, I want to read about Dworkin in the August Times Literary Supplement, the October issue has material on Baldwin. What's Going On is by D. Quinton Miller. Uh, he's writing an article, America Through the Mind of James Baldwin. He mentions two books. One is, uh, well, an homage, and another is a tale in which the author is pretty much seeking his own, his own, uh, raison d'etre. He's using Baldwin as a model uh, uh, in what it is by Clifford Thompson, yes, what it is. Race, family, and one thinking black man's blues. Right. Uh, we read a lot of material about how Clifford Thompson uh, was awakened to his own, what is that, uh, his own limitations, uh, his own, what do you call that, what do we call that, uh, we have this hardening of the categories, people. <laughs> he, he realizes this, that he has been protected from uh, some of the worst. Uh, Baldwin, Baldwin is praised in what it is. Yes, he is praised for the wisdom and lyricism he brings to expressing the anger and ache of being black in America and for being, quote, one who brought everything he had to bear on opposing racism without being racist himself. Uh-huh. Okay, and this, uh, this piece in the Times Literary Supplement goes on to tell us, well, to uh, talk about what he thinks, what the writer thinks, Baldwin would <laughs> would respond to the catastrophe of the election of uh, D.J. Trump. Uh, now, Andrea Dworkin knew that the battle for men's minds is often fought on the field of women's bodies. Uh, and it's only in recent years that rape has been even classified as a weapon of war. The control of women has been part of sociopolitical life. Everything, uh, the fight for land, for resources, the, the, uh, the, the woman thing, you know, you, you attack the women in any group or clan or nation or tribe or colony. This is the first way to destroy first the family, then the social order, then possibly to absorb social order. Now, Dworkin's tragic life and death, uh, well, 
I think she is a victim of the oldest, oldest story, the oldest other. She was so vulnerable. She was so utterly crushed. Uh, the ancients had such different ideas about uh, color. Today's so-called thinkers, thinkers. What is it? Somebody said, when the, when the train, when the engine of thought makes a sharp, sharp turn, half the thinkers fall off. <laughs> anyway, uh, we know that for at least 400 years on this continent, uh, uh, captive black people were bought and sold uh, simply on the basis of their color. Uh, color was a justification for slavery, uh, an excuse to subordinate other peoples. It was called, actually, race a lot of the time because uh, the, what is it, the color line that Du Bois talks about is so complex. I was reading last night a funny story about Thomas Jefferson, about all of the so-called white slaves that uh, worked at Monticello. Many of them were his own children. In any case, they were uh, uh, light enough, uh, their skin was light enough to allow them to pass for white. Many of his children simply left home and uh, moved across the color line. Uh, aha, it is so bizarre, all this stuff. Uh, black identity, white supremacy. Now, surely these are facts in today's world. Uh, I think that the thinking black man's blues, this spin on what James Baldwin would feel about the election of Donald Trump, uh, the catastrophe of Donald Trump after the eight years with Barack Obama, this uh, catastrophe for all of us, for black and white. Uh, I think the unique thing about James Baldwin is his incredible capacity to, what is that, uh, yes, to, to express, yes, to express that rage he felt. He talks about it, uh, talks about uh, smashing up a bar one time, you know, uh, because of his treatment. Uh, and he, he said once that he had to go to Paris to discover that he could be disliked for the color of his skin. He said it took him eight years in France to realize that he could be loathed simply for himself. Uh, now, the white supremacists actually may find some comfort in the uh, election of Donald Trump, but <laughs> I, I don't know. So many voices in my head trying to guide my feelings. Uh, Clifford Thompson's book, What It Is. What It Is. Jimmy Baldwin. I have an essay in one of my own books that I have marked. Uh, before I get to that, I want to tell you about another book on Baldwin. 
It's by Bill V. Mullen, M-U-L-L-E-N. Once again, you can find the review in the uh, October issue of Time's Literary Supplement. Living in Fire by Bill Mullen. Now, you will remember that uh, Baldwin had a very famous essay titled The Fire Next Time. Uh, Now, both these books, What It Is and Living in Fire, uh, uh, are reviewed once again in the October issue of Time's Literary Supplement. You can check that out and uh, take it from there because these books uh, are telling us uh, a lot more about the ways that Baldwin's life and work has influenced us, influenced writers. Uh, I remember Baldwin, his existence and his books hitting me right between the eyes in the late 60s. I remember, yes, I have to, I have to read you the stuff about his first appearances on television. But anyway, these writers, these new writers, have wiser thoughts about their own lives. They suggest ways that they've discovered, uh, ways in which to follow Baldwin's example. Uh, not, uh, <laughs> not all the way to to, to uh, uh, the crucifixion. Yes, I, I I always like to think of Christ without the cross. Right, uh, the life of Christ is always the example. I think Baldwin uh, had it in mind. Uh, a hippie. Christ. Uh, Now that we have lurched to the right, I think we need uh, James Baldwin, uh, and not just here in the United States, but all around the globe with the rise of authoritarianism and governments and uh, progressives are looking for any new way to lift up these spirits and to give hope to the New Age people. These Green New Dealers, the people I was waiting for. God bless them all. Now, a couple nights ago, I discovered uh, a movie that I had forgotten about. I believe that I saw it at the Pacific Film Archive, probably in the early 80s. And it's the, uh, well, uh, it purports to be a production of James Baldwin's novel, James Baldwin's novel, Go Tell It on the Mountain. Now, it, it uh, actually, uh, the movie ends at the point when Baldwin allows himself to be uh, saved, and in a way, this resolves some of his problems. Of course, in his real life, James Baldwin uh, left the church. He did uh, he did have a conversion experience. He did go on to become a preacher, and he did not leave the church until he was about 17. He has written that the church saved him from the life in the streets where he would have been in real danger. The church was sort of safe, and of course, it helped him to become a writer. Uh, I think of him as possibly a great actor. Uh, Now, this movie, I I recommend it because 
It has all these terrific actors, and it does have an incredible amount of material. Uh, the uh, the uh, scenes with Alfred Woodard, she plays the father's lover back down south. The movie uses flashbacks to show you the suffering of Baldwin's father. His early life is tormented. He was humiliated. Uh, Baldwin says that his father, you know, went into the church to ask God to kill the white man. The, uh, yeah, the actors, Olivia Cole, always, always a poetic actress. James Bond III plays the young, <laughs> the young, uh, the young Baldwin, the teenager. C.C. Uh, Pounder has a terrific role. Um, uh, some of you may remember Baghdad Cafe, the actress C.C. Pounder, one of our master actors. Uh, all of these actors are masters of their uh, style. Uh, we show uh, all the ways in which Baldwin's father uh, suffers. He uh, has an illegitimate son, a boy. And this child dies from violence. He had rejected the child, called the mother a harlot. <laughs> the mother of that boy died young, and the guilt-ridden father then married a woman who had been the victim of a gang rape as a girl. The white men have uh, in quotes, ruined her. And this woman, the one played by C.C. Pounder, she lives to regret the k kindness, the generosity of this marriage. Uh, after her death, Baldwin's mother comes into the story in New York. And uh, this stepfather uh, looms very large in Baldwin's life, uh, I think, I think that uh, it's a strange way the father is the victim of his own racist beliefs, of his own hatreds and personal anguish. Uh, his weapon is the Bible, and uh, his family and children try to show him that uh, his, uh, his anger is not doing anything to help his family. Uh, Baldwin's salvation seems to have been his own capacity to rise above all this sadness in his home and to transcend the religious absolutes, the preaching and uh, uh, the solid wall of the absolutes, yes. Anyway, Baldwin escaped to a sophisticated world Finally, we find him in Paris, uh, 1948, a bohemian free thinker, and his homosexual lifestyle takes shape. Uh, he learned to love. I remember uh, how funny it was to notice that Baldwin was, in some ways, rejected by certain black writers for his homosexuality. <laughs> not, not a proper man, not manly enough, uh, Anyway, uh, Baldwin's life is all about the capacity to love.
I think that is what distinguishes one human being from another, the capacity to love. His book, uh, the novel, Another Country, is all about uh, race, so-called race, or blacks and whites in our Western culture. In the book, uh, blacks and whites, uh, contemporaries, early 20th century folks, live together and work things out. Now, I thought the book was absolutely terrific. I I tried to teach it once. Uh, <clears throat> it didn't go over very well. Uh, uh, I thought that he was writing a kind of plea for a Creole world, you know, in which we would all be kind of tea-colored, but um, was not a popular concept. I think that uh, this land where free people can see each other without the blinders of color, we're not there yet, certainly not there yet. William E.B. Du Bois wrote, in his magnificent work, The Souls of Black Folk, the first book to, to be used in any black studies program, The Souls of Black Folk. In that book, he wrote about a little son, his own child, who died. Uh, this son died, he said, before he understood that... Uh, Blacks live behind a kind of veil. And this child died before he was old enough to know, to understand, to recognize that he would live always behind this veil. Anyway, uh, yes, William E.B. Du Bois, not race but color, the Color line, boys and girls. Uh, I want to look in the uh, chapter in my own book, Stone's Throw. The last chapter is an homage to James Baldwin. Ah, uh, 1924 to 1987, that's James Baldwin. He died in Paris. He was born in Harlem. Baldwin is the link between Richard Wright and the black women writers of today. These are the writers who go to the heart of things. When I was young, I imagined that black writers were better Christians than white writers. Of course, when I was young, they were. Times change. Indeed, times do change. Jimmy Baldwin is someone that most of us took to our hearts. A local writer and filmmaker named Claire Birch had a whole shelf of videos about James Baldwin. I have watched so many of them. Once again, if you have HBO, you can find uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain on the movie list. Uh, fascinating uh i think what struck me most about james baldwin was that he did not keep his pain to himself uh he shared his pain 
he was capable of sharing his feelings, that intimacy which women are said to crave, right? He doesn't share his feelings. Baldwin poured forth his deepest convictions, and they became literature. He did not deny his pain. He did not detest black people, and he did not detest himself. Once he believed some of what the white world said about him, and then he thought about it. (laughs) Maybe I will have time to read you more of this essay about Baldwin and about his capacity to uh, express his rage uh, without without becoming a racist. Uh, 1948, he's commuting back from France to be with Martin Luther King. That's a good place to start next time. This has been Jennifer Stone. Till next time, go easy. And if you can't go easy, go as easy as you can. Justice for Some, Law and the Question of Palestine. That's the title of Nora Erekat's new book. Nora Erekat was a leader of Students for Justice in Palestine at UC Berkeley and now is a nationally known human rights lawyer and professor. She'll be talking about her new book on Tuesday, November 12th, 7 p.m. at Berkeley City College, 2050 Center Street, where she'll also be in conversation with Lada Kiswani, director of the Arab Resource and Organizing Center. Raja Shahada said of her book, Nora communicates with the skill of a lawyer and the passion of an activist. The event is a benefit for the Middle East Children's Alliance and is wheelchair accessible. Call 510-548-0542 or go to meccaforpeace.org.